Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Keeping You Active, brought to you by Florida Orthopedic Institute. For more information on Florida Orthopedic Institute, visit us online at floridaortho.com. That's floridaortho.com. Joining me today, physician liaison, Kim Mott. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing excellent. Thanks for being on the show. And with us once again, Dr. Adam Morris. How are you, sir? Very good. Thank you. Well, thanks again for joining us on the show today. We're going to get a little more specific than we've been in past shows. Of course, the the, the past uh, shows we were talking about running, and it was, of course, uh, leading up to uh, the Gasparilla Distance Classic, which is always a fun event here in Tampa Bay. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a very specific injury. We're going to talk about the ACL, right? And mm-hmm. this actually kind of comes from a personal experience story. ironically yeah. enough um it's we're getting down to the wire in wrestling right now high school sports um the re- state wrestling tournament comes up in about three weeks and um my son was at the tournament and he picked up a guy kind of threw him down excuse me i don't have the technical wrestling terms but um as he made a twist or turn he he messed up his knee and swelled up right away and there was no way he could continue the match. Um, so I think it's a good topic. Let's talk about it. What, what can we do to, um, to, to know if it's an ACL tear, I guess? Well, I think you um, understood right away is when you told me he wasn't able to continue the match, that it was something significant. And when you tell me that it swelled up right away where it was noticeably swollen, those are two really good red flags that we need to be aware of. So um, when we see that, typically um, a, a, a kneecap dislocation will swell up immediately and an ACL will swell up immediately and get very large and very painful. So other than a broken bone, those are the two most common things that you're going to see in sports that are going to cause that sudden injury. Um, So let's, I guess, take it back then. Describe what is an ACL. Okay, so... um this is this is a model of a knee here and this is the end of the thigh and the top of the shin bone and the fibula the little bone on the outside you have your lateral collateral ligament and your medial collateral ligament which makes sure the knee only flexes and extends it doesn't buckle open to the side um, right in the middle of the knee on the inside here you have two ligaments that cross over like this and the one in the front is called the anterior cruciate ligament uh-huh. and the one in the back is called the posterior cruciate ligament so the anterior cruciate ligament comes right through the middle of the knee and it actually attaches to the um, end of the thigh and the top of the shin bone kind of diagonally right in the notch okay so what does that mean to a 15 year old who's not going <laughs> to understand exactly the the terminology so basically what that means is that you have four ligaments that kind of keep the knee when you plant and twist doing this okay in his case he planted his foot and his body twisted and the knee came apart and actually tore at least one of the ligaments in his knee if he tore his ACL. Oh, wow. Okay. So the other one that commonly goes with it, if the knee buckles open to the side, if you get hit on the outside of the knee, the knee will buckle open to the side like this and it'll actually strain or tear the medial collateral ligament or the MCL as well. Okay. Well, we see that. I mean, you hear about it constantly, especially in professional sports. Exactly. And and you mentioned, of course, that uh, the swelling was immediate. Mm-hmm. There was uh, redness, right, as well. Yeah. And and how do you uh, distinguish the pain from the swelling and the redness uh, and uh, the pain of, let's say, if it, there had been a broken bone 
in, in that situation. A broken bone, usually what you'll find is that if you move the knee, you'll feel like a crunching sound from the actual bones grinding. Okay. The bone will continue to droop and move in a direction it's not supposed to. With an ACL, everything kind of comes immediately back and it looks fairly normal other than swollen. And the knee still only typically bends one direction, but they will be very uncomfortable. And because it's not 100% definitive for a non-medical person there, then you would want to elevate the leg. Um, you'd want to ice the leg to keep the swelling down so they can start working on getting their motion back faster. And you want to kind of stabilize it, either wrap it in a, a blanket or a towel with some tape or a cardboard box, something just kind of hold it still until you can have it evaluated. And, and is the elevation, I mean, of course the icing, but does the elevation, is that also for the swelling? The elevation, yes, is going to help to get the blood to drain out of the leg and get back to the heart. So if, okay. if they're at home, um, propping the leg up on a couple of pillows and then laying them flat or in a recliner chair with their leg up or in the car ride on the way home, putting uh, their gym bag or something behind them with a door lock so that the door doesn't accidentally open and then having that leg propped up on the seat with a bag of ice on it is going to help kind of keep everything still while it's being waited to be evaluated. And the importance of having it kind of constrained, like you were saying, to make sure that you kind of have a towel around it or something to keep it in place. In the event that it were broken, broken and the bones had actually shifted a little bit, and that was the cause of the um, problem, um, which is much more rare in high school sports but can happen, um, you don't want a, the edge of the bone to go and cut a vein or an artery or nerve and cause more bleeding and more problems. So the more stable we keep it until we've discerned what's going on, the better. That's interesting. So what are some more other sports that um, ACL injuries typically occur? The most common are um, football and soccer. Okay. Um, and you will see them on a court um, sport like basketball if there's a plant and a sharp twist or real common a player jumps up for a jump shot. Another person tries to back into them to block them out. You land on their ankle. The ankle rolls. You either sprain the ankle or the ankle rolls and the knee buckles at the same time when you're coming down and pop pop there it goes right so when uh, talking about these kind of acl injuries uh, you know um once they obviously get it professionally assessed and let's say that you're able to confirm uh here at florida orthopedic institute <laughs> that you're able to uh, to uh, confirm that it is an acl injury um and now uh, what are some of the varying degrees of that injury i mean of course there's um, you know, is there a sprain level or is it, or is it always a tear or what, or you know, give us an idea of what the varying degrees of that injury is. For the most part, it's similar to being pregnant. It's either torn or it's not. Okay. Now with an MRI scan, um, you can, um, see swelling in the ligament. But clinically, it's perfectly stable, okay. and in which case we would treat it as if it's not torn and just kind of protect it while you rehab it and go back to your sport. Um, but a significant injury to the ACL, it's either functioning or it's not. In other words, it's either completely torn or it's not, in which case you're either going to um, choose to treat it or choose to just kind of rehab it and see how it does and get the swelling down and not worry about it. Now, if you choose, let's say, to not you know, treat it, right, and do the rehab and that sort of thing. What are, again, some of the expectations there in terms of how your knee will continue to function um, or how it's going to change 
basically the function of that knee. So if you have a mild strain to the ligament and you see some fluid, but clinically the knee is normal and stable feeling on examination to the surgeon, then he might recommend you do some therapy and rehab it and see how it does. Things that you want to look for in that case is as you're doing your rehab and you're starting to ease back into your cutting, does it feel like the knee moves as a unit? In other words, when you plant and twist, does it feel like your knee is stable and controlled or does it feel like like your knees twisting and coming apart and and that's a sensation that the the athlete will tell you um, when I cut it feels like the leg buckles gives way like it's coming apart like it's gonna just my my lower leg is gonna rip away from my upper leg those are signs that the ligament um, is more injured than we might have suspected yeah. and and that's a good indication to go back in and talk to the surgeon if you have seen the surgeon and the surgeon tells you you have a tear in the ligament and you decided, well, I don't want to have surgery and have this fixed. I want to treat it in a brace. Then the same thing applies. If you're in the brace and during the time in the brace, you're trying to be active on it and the knee feels like it's still coming apart and the brace isn't stabilizing it, then your options are to either discontinue that sport or that activity that causes that feeling of instability or to have surgery and have the brace fixed. Um, and, and, that's kind of just going to depend on the reason for that. I would say is that um, as the you also in the knee, um, if you were to look between the two bones here, you have these two cushions called a meniscus. It's a shock absorber cushion between the bones, okay. and its job is to cushion the impact of the joint. If you in doing that, if you plant. Um, and twist and you don't have an ACL and you feel like it's coming apart, what's going to try to support the knee for you is that meniscus. It is not designed to do that. Okay. And then in addition to having an ACL tear, now you have an ACL and a meniscus tear. Oh. And then when you get the meniscus tear, the meniscus acts as a flap and starts to scrape the cartilage off the end of the bone. And that's what arthritis is. So this is okay. the progression. If you opt to say, well, I don't want to have the surgery or um, I think I can treat this with a brace that's fine as long as you're not having that shifting and unstable feeling because if you are then you're going to start dramatically increasing your risk of a meniscus tear and then progressing the arthritis at a much more rapid pace well and somebody who is let's say not active right so let's say because again these injuries even happen to people who aren't active and, exactly uh, um again maybe their option is to not have it treated is is a brace something that they're going to be wearing on a permanent basis or is it something that it's just going to be slightly uncomfortable uh, to obviously have that that injury there that hasn't been treated Ideally, you wear the brace for a few weeks because the muscles are irritated from all the swelling in the knee. And when they fire to stabilize the knee, you get pain. So the knees, gonna, the muscles are going to back off to eliminate the pain. So for about um, four to eight weeks, wearing a brace to kind of help give you stability and remind you not to do anything foolish until all the swelling comes back yeah. and the strength comes back is pretty much all you need. However, that's to go back to normal walking and everyday activities. Some people will continue to have a feeling of instability, twisting and turning to get out of a car, okay. um, walking around the kitchen, planning and turning from the sink to the refrigerator. If that's the case, then you might need to wear your brace frequently, like most of the time while you're awake and up and about. It just if, depends on how active you are. Yes, right. but if, if okay. you say, hey, look, it really doesn't bother me if I'm being fairly careful when I'm walking and I'm fairly careful getting out of the car and I've grown accustomed to I just pick both my feet up and I move them together, 
in these patients, you're going to have no major issues. Okay. Um, so you might be only limited to, I don't play tennis and I don't play soccer and I don't play basketball, but everyday stuff doesn't bother me. And, and I'm 45 and I'm a chess champion and that's where my passion lies, where I'm a guitar player and, and I'm not a, a rock band lead guitarist where I'm bouncing <laughs> on the stage. So I don't need to be able to do those things. And, right. and I'm perfectly content to n treat this non-operatively. And then, uh, I'm sorry, did you no, have a question? No, I was going to back it up a little bit on how you, you see these all the time. How do you diagnose it? What kind of diagnostics are used for you to diagnose an ACL or a meniscus? So typically when you come into the office or if you were to see an emergency room um, or your primary care, the first thing they're going to do is get an x-ray. And the x-ray is mostly just to confirm, hey, this is not a broken bone. Okay. And, and that's what we really want to know. Now, there are some subtle findings that we will see on an x-ray that can, can give us information if you're good at reading them about whether or not this is an ATL tear. The position of the end of the thigh underneath the shin bone will be different. Mm -hmm. But these are very subtle findings that if you're not a specialist, you might not recognize. Right. But most importantly, now we know it's not an emergency. There's no broken bone. You can start working on getting the swelling down. After you've got an x-ray, you can start working on bending it. You can start working on getting the motion back. You can start getting the stiffness out and you can start loosening it up. And then the next step would be to have a physical examination by okay. a trained orthopedic surgeon. Um, there are three or four diagnostic tests that we use, Lachman, Jor, Pivot, Shift, are the names of them. But, but the bottom line is that we can feel the increase in the play in the knee with an ACL tear that is there if you have a complete tear. Um, if we want to confirm those suspicions, an MRI scan will give us exact insane detail on specifically it if it's a tear, if it's a partial tear, if it's just a mild swelling, if it's bruising on the bone, if there's also wow. a meniscus tear, if there's cartilage wear on the end of the thigh. I mean, anything else that we need is going to come from an MRI scan. So they're frequently going to be ordered afterwards to confirm that prior to planning on any surgical intervention. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, we do MRI on site at Florida Orthopedics. So yeah, that's good amazing. information to know. Well, that led right into what I was going <laughs> to say, which is if you do have issues with your ACL, with your knee, um, you know, you'd like to have a consultation. Maybe you just have some questions. Uh, you can do so by taking the first step just by visiting our website, floridaortho.com, floridaortho.com. We can even start the appointment process through there if you visit our website. Uh, and uh, we can also get you set up if you call us. Our phone number is on our website as well. Floridaortho.com is that website. So visit us online. Make sure you're following us on Facebook. Thank you for those watching live. Leave us comments or questions even right here on this Facebook video. Or if you're watching us on YouTube as well, we monitor all of our social media accounts and we can get your questions answered here as well. So uh, thank you for watching the Keeping You Active show. We're going to come back, talk a little bit more about the ACL in our next segment. Talk about this, uh, the surgery process and the rehab mm -hmm. process after getting it treated through surgery. Uh, right here on Keeping You Active, brought to you by Florida Orthopedic Institute. See you in a bit. <laughs> Florida Orthopedic Institute has the best solutions for virtually every bone, joint, ligament, and muscle in your body. Founded in 1989, we're one of Florida's largest orthopedic groups. And today, we're at the cutting edge of orthopedic research, education, and techniques. Our highly skilled board-certified physicians and surgeons have advanced subspecialty training expertise that provides a level of care unattainable anywhere else. Florida Orthopedic has 10 locations across Tampa Bay, so there's one that's right in your neighborhood, including a location with orthopedic urgent care.
No one's better at keeping you active because nobody does orthopedics like we do. To find out how we're delivering world-class orthopedic care right here in Tampa Bay, go to FloridaOrtho.com or call 1-800-FL-ORTHO. That's FloridaOrtho.com, 1-800-FL-ORTHO. Welcome back to the Keeping You Active show brought to you by Florida Orthopedic Institute. Uh, again, you can find us online, FloridaOrtho.com. That's FloridaOrtho.com. You can call us. Our appointment line is 813-978-9797. Again, 813-978-9797. If you'd like to schedule an appointment, a consultation, maybe you have some questions about today's topic. We're talking ACLs, so ACL injuries, how that affects someone, again, both young and old, and uh, you know whether you're to treat it or not to treat it, you know, yeah. to paraphrase uh, Shakespeare a little bit. Uh, we were talking about a personal example, uh, you know, of, of yours. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit more, I guess, about why this was such a crucial moment in that situation. Yeah, so he's really, really good at wrestling, and it's important to him to get a scholarship for college. And, you know, it, this is a pretty big impact. We're getting towards the end of the season. He's going to have to sit out. He's got two more years of high school you know, how is this injury going to impact his future success in the sport? Um, we're obviously really concerned. We want him to get that scholarship, but is he going to be able to? Um, the nice thing about ACL injuries is we have been treating them for years and years now. This isn't something new that's new to develop. Um, we've been perfecting and honing these skills and mastering the exact location of the ACL so that when it's reconstructed, it gets as close to normal as we can possibly make it. That being said, not every single person that has this injury will be able to return to their pre-injury level. Okay. A large percentage of them do. Um, which is good. I've had um, a few patients um, just in the last month. We probably see 100 to 200 ACLs a year in my practice. Wow. So wow. amongst all of the surgeons that do ACLs at the Florida Peak Institute, um, of which there are four or five, we probably see between 500 and 1,000 um, wow. ACL injuries every year. So you must have some success stories that you can tell us about. We have some pretty great success stories. I have a, um, a friend of mine. I still consider him a friend. He's a patient as well. Mm -hmm. um, I followed his career for a lot of years. He started out with the Bucks and um, he came down um, after he left the Bucks. He was playing in the Canadian Football League for a few years. He came down and um, asked me to take a look at his knee and he in fact had an acl tear and, and the, he was the primary breadwinner for his family oh, so no. he was that put him out then yeah and i mean you know this is definitely a season-ending injury yeah. so the question is is it just a season-ending injury or is it a career-ending injury um in his case um we went ahead and reconstructed his knee and based on his age and his recommendations and his request we used um, a cadaver tissue somebody uh, somebody had donated their ligaments and we used their ligaments on his knee to reconstruct it wow um, he sent me a copy yeah it was interesting um, but it takes away from us having to rob peter to pay paul as it were to right. take a piece from one part of his knee to reconstruct another part of his knee right so in that case um 
he sent me the newspaper clipping from um, up in Canada that said Dead Man Walking was the title of his story because oh, wow. he had this cadaver part, this dead person part <laughs> in his knee. And they were really concerned. They said they don't use a lot of cadaver ligaments on professional football players, and they weren't sure about it. Um, and they weren't sure if he was going to be able to make it back after that using that. Um, so it was kind of a risk on both our parts, even though I was the one that kind of was recommending it. It was a risk for him to take, and it was a risk for me to take and putting that out there for him. So you got the news article, well, and what was... Well, I mean, he got some feedback from some of the coaches and the local docs saying, you know, that may not be in the direction we would have taken. Gotcha. Okay. So, so then the heat was on me to say, hey, look, was this a good choice? Um, fortunately um, for him and I, um, he ended up going back and playing the next year. He did so well that the following year, he was the highest paid lineman in the league. Wow. wow. That's yeah. So, so yeah. So from that standpoint, you know, it's not only something that you can survive and come back from, but you can come back from just as strong. And if you rehab it and do the work, you can come back to the point where you're, you right. know, back to top, top of the game. Well, and even, you know, uh, kind of going again, sticking with the football theme, you know, we saw that Bo Jackson was somebody who famously had knee injuries and, and a lot of people didn't think that he was going to be able to come back from that. He didn't come back a hundred percent, but he was able to come back and play for a number of years afterwards. Uh, and, and, and again, never really kind of fully recovered. But again, your example shows, you know, again, it was a new approach. It was a new technique and, and he was able to kind of restore his, his career, which is pretty amazing. Cause again, like you said, it's not just a lifestyle thing. Like this was literally the income for his family. This was the, the you know, yeah. the, the, the one thing that this was a career essentially that, you know, changed entirely because of this one procedure. Yeah, so we see them much more commonly in high school athletes that go out, um, and it's very challenging because of the windows. And sure. by windows, I mean um, there's a certain time frame during your junior year when the scouts are coming to look at you where you need to be seen, and that's usually end of junior year and beginning of senior year when they want to confirm that you're going to be just as good during your senior year before you start signing day and commitments. Okay. Yeah, this is important stuff. <laughs> right, because this affects scholarships. This affects um, how am I going to be able to pay for college? Are my parents going to have to take out loans? I mean, it, it's a big it's deal. Added stress, especially yeah, when they to get the an whole injury. family, not just yeah. to the student. And so, if all of a sudden they get injured and the knee swells up, and and they've been training 10, 15, 20 years for this, moment. you know, moment, and all of a sudden, boom! In five seconds, they're laying on the field with a swollen knee, and it could be gone. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's a very delicate and emotional time for the athlete. It's the same for the family that's going to all of a sudden got to decide, am I going to be able to get them back? Mm -hmm. And are they going to be able to play? It gets very intense and, and very emotional for, for everybody involved. Well, like you said, there's a lot of time, money, uh, you know, effort that's made, you know, especially at the high school level. I mean, there's uh, a, a lot of discussion happening right now as to whether or not high school players are maybe playing a little too hard right but is there anything that can be done preventatively you know to possibly avoid this type of injury uh for someone let's say that plays soccer where you're going to be more predisposed to this type of injury than in other sports um again strength and conditioning okay 
making sure you have the proper fitness, making sure that you have the proper balance and stability and doing a lot of agility type drills um, that focus on balance, agility and strength and conditioning. Um, if, if kids come out, you know, in some of the smaller programs and the coach is like, you know, hey, look, you're really not big enough to play, but the guy who's playing your position is hurt and we need to fill you in all of a sudden and you've been standing on the sidelines you know with your shoulder pads your hip pads your knee pads and your helmet you right. weigh 120 pounds without them <laughs> uh you might blow over in a good wind um it gets a little unnerving as the doc watching it happen when the guy lining up across from him weighs 350 pounds. Sure. So sometimes that disparity in size, weight, and age, because in high school football, you know, you can be like your son who weighs 106 pounds right. and he's 15 and he's lining up against a guy who weighs 350 pounds and he's 18 and a half, almost 19. And they're right. on the same field doing the same right. thing. Yeah. Which again is, is a nice attribution to rest because everybody's lined up with somebody who By weighs weight. the same weight. So it's a lot safer if everybody weighs the same amount. So should there be some consideration made in some of these sports where, uh, again, there's a variety of positions available to maybe reconsider what position they're playing to avoid those more kind of career-ending injuries? I, I think that for the most part, they have that. Yeah. Um, usually the really big, heavy, slow guys are on the offensive and defensive line and the smaller, skinnier guys are defensive back and the middle, strong, super strong, super fast guys are in the receiver and running back positions. Sure. The problem is that guy who weighs 180 pounds or to 200 pounds and is really, really strong and really fast and he's a running back, if he gets through the offensive line and the linebackers, the only guy left to tackle him is that 120-pound <laughs> corner who right. got put in as a freshman because the junior got hurt or the senior got hurt, and therein lies the problem. Yeah. So they come, they get the assessment done, the MRI, the x-rays, all that. They go through the, the whole process. Um, they decide to or elect to do a surgical procedure, right, to repair the tear. Uh, explain to us a little bit about, of course, what those expectations are for that procedure, and then we can kind of go into the rehab process. The nice thing is that the procedure has for some time now been an outpatient surgery procedure. Okay. Um, outpatient mean a surgery center. We have two here at Florida Orthopedics. So. Exactly. And it also means that you would come in and go home the same day. There's no overnight stay at the surgery center or at the hospital. Um, you would make small incisions um, and typically the sad thing about it is that in about 90% of cases you can't repair the patient's anterior cruciate ligament. Um, when they tear, they'll tear like two ends of a mop and to yeah. sew that it won't hold. So what we do is we replace them. Okay. And you can either replace them with hamstring tendons, with patellar tendon, meaning we would take an actual piece of the kneecap, a piece of the shin bone in the middle third of a tendon across the front of the knee, and we can replace them with that. We can replace them with some of your hamstring tendons, or we can replace them with um, cadaver tissue, and you can either use Achilles cadaver, you can use patellar tendon cadaver, hamstring cadaver. We have a lot of cadaver options as well. Is um, that long? kind of, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, well, how long is this procedure? Does it depend on the, any of those options that you're suggesting? To some extent, but, but for the most part, it's fairly simple. It's 
it's anywhere from about 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes and somebody who does 100 plus a year. There are people that can take four to six to eight hours to do these procedures, but um, with the experience that we have here at the Florida Orthopedic Institute, um, we can get them done fairly quickly, which minimizes the amount of anesthesia you need, which minimizes the amount of nausea and vomiting, and minimizes the amount of swelling and risk of other problems of being under anesthesia. And without really needing to get too deep in detail, but what are maybe some of the more or the newer uh, type of approaches to repairing this uh, injury? Um, One of the things that we've noticed is the fixation, the fixation of how we actually fix the new ligament into the tunnels that we place to incorporate into the tissue is fairly new. they're constantly changing and evolving. Um, we used to use metal screws that w- your body would grow around. And then if you ever had to have a knee replacement in 30 years afterwards, or you ever wanted to go into the military, sometimes they wouldn't let you in because you have metal hardware in your knee. Sure. So not only do I, am I concerned about, hey, are you going to be able to continue your football career, but maybe you're training football to stay fit for your active duty military time. Yeah. And, and thinking much farther down the road. Well, maybe you're, yeah, I mean, but I mean, your active duty military time might start when you're 18. Right, right. So, right. so if you say, hey, I'm 16 in high school and I tore my ACL and I put metal screws in, and then you say, hey, I got accepted to West Point or I decided to enlist in the military, and, and they said they won't take me because I have metal in my knee, that's an immediate problem. And, it, and for someone older, let's say, and the kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, is the metal screw still kind of an approach that's used or, uh, or is there other? I, I would tend to avoid them for yeah. different reasons. So the older you are, the more likely you are to end up needing a knee replacement at some point in your future if you've got wear and tear on top of that. Mm-hmm. And if we've got a metal screw in there and I've got to saw the top of your shin bone in order to put the new metal implant in for your knee replacement and the screws in the way, then I've got to find a way to take out that screw and I've got to find a way to fill that hole and it can, you have to dig out the screw and it can be a problem. Complicates the process. Right. Yeah. So what we've changed over to over the course of the last um, 10 or 15 years is composite screws, which are a, a, an absorbable material that your body slowly dissolves. Okay. And we started using them about 15 years ago, but then more recently than that, probably in the last seven to 10 years, we've actually combined another material that stimulates new bone growth. So when you get these composite, these biocomposite screws, the screw goes in, the screw dissolves, and and when it releases the substance that stimulates new bone, the the screw, where the screw was, just fills in with new bone. It's like it was never there. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Right, so now we don't have to worry about limiting your ability to get in the military. We don't have to worry about affecting your um, knee replacement down the road. We don't have to worry about any hardware sitting off a metal detector in the airport. We don't, you know, all these little things (laughs) that might not think about. Exactly. So we've kind of solved a lot of those problems using these biocomposite materials, which is kind of the wave of the future, I believe. Well, along yeah. that, uh, along those lines, anything kind of groundbreaking that's that you see kind of happening out there? Um, more so along the line of biologics. So right. um, what we refer to as biologics are things that are going to stimulate your body to. Um, heal and reproduce and grow um some that be what they also call regenerative or yeah more regenerative medicine and stuff like that so um over the past 15 to 20 years we've started um scraping cartilage off the inside of your knee and then sending it to a lab where they can grow the cartilage cells out in a big culture and then we can actually 
um, used various different methods to inject them back in the knee or wow. to glue them back into the knee where they'll fill in with a, a more normal type of cartilage for arthritis type of tissue or for arthritis type of problems. Mm -hmm. And um, then there's um, juvenile cartilage from, from infants or small children that have passed. Um, and we've taken their cartilage and minced it up and used that um, to inject into the knees or to place in the knees to help other people's cartilage. So we're using a lot of cadaver tissue, a lot of um, stem cells, a lot of... Is that um, more for arthritis or is that for ACL? Um, Would you use those methods for ACL? For the ACL, we haven't used them yet because okay. we still need a mechanical scaffold in place. Gotcha. But we're starting to incorporate um, biologics. Um, we're in the early study phases of incorporating biologics. So if we take um, a cadaver tissue or your own, once we take it from you to put it back in another part, once it's been disconnected, there's no blood flow to it. So it's right. no longer living tissue per right. se. So what we end up having to do then is find ways for your body to bleed and to and grow into it. Mm -hmm. So there are mediators that we can inject. There are um, things that we're researching and studying um, that look at what can we do to increase the probability that your body is going to take that scaffold of tissue and grow a new ligament around it and, and vascularize it so that it stays constantly getting blood flow so it lasts you for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Again, there's uh, so much more that we can certainly go into when it comes to the ACL. But if you are having knee problems, if you have had some history with your ACL and you want somebody to take another look at it, uh, you know, feel free to stop by any Florida Orthopedic Institute branch. You can find all of our locations at FloridaOrtho.com. That's FloridaOrtho.com. You can, of course, call our appointment line to 813-978-9797. That's 813-978-9797. You could even uh, maybe get Dr. Morse, and, and uh, he could answer maybe a couple questions for you. But you can also reach out to us on social media. We answer questions all the time. Reach out to us on Facebook, YouTube. Just search for us, Florida Orthopedic Institute. Mm -hmm. It's been another episode of Keeping You Active. Thank you again, Kim yeah. Mott, Physician Liaison. Thank you so much again to Dr. Morse. Thanks, both of you, for all your help, and thanks for watching. Yeah. See you next time.